Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy. And I thank you for your Word, Lord, that your Word touches on comfortable verses as well as uncomfortable verses so that we might grow, that we might mature, that we might debug the program of religiosity. Lord, most of us are not here this morning out of religious obligation. Most of us are here because we have a personal relationship with your son. We're here because we love your son and we're here because we want to grow. So I pray for the gift of teaching And that your Holy Spirit will grow us. None of us have arrived until we take our last breath. No one's arrived. No one has this faith nailed down. So Lord, prod us, poke us, discipline us. Do whatever it takes to mature us that we might become more like Christ. Even as we sang, willing to give it all away. Because we know we're just sojourners. We're just pilgrims. We're just passing through we're just visiting this planet now as believers we're looking forward to the new jerusalem where there'll be no time constraints no shadows no 110 degree days it's gonna be so wonderful god no new kid on the block no time but until then use us for your glory in these evil days and these wicked days and help us not to compromise individually family-wise church-wise, help us to, to just remain steadfast on the straight and narrow. And whatever you allow to come, you allow to come. You'll give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to deal with it. Because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Use your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're actually going to go back to chapter 7. We finished up in verse 14. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. But let's go back to verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, and that's what we're going to study this morning, we study here what we do, if you're not familiar with Calvary, at least this Calvary, I try to teach principles. I'm not necessarily a preacher. I'm a teacher. I believe in teaching principles because that's the most important thing that you and I need to have is teaching so that we can apply the principles that we've heard and and what does that look like practically. And we learn it in truth. And the word of God is our truth from Genesis to Revelation. Not picking and choosing what we want to be true, but what is the truth, period. Period. In truth, even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. Now for our text this morning. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. That's the key. The obedience of you all. Because when we get into verse chapters 8 and 9, we're going to learn what that obedience was all about. And that obedience dealt with finances specifically. So just so you get the broader picture as we go through the word of God. There are principles within the word of God for every aspect of our life. We have to determine, am I mature enough to deal with those principles or not? 
God will not push it down our throat. He will not make us apply these principles. It's free will. We just keep, the ask, keep asking ourselves the question, do I want to be more like Jesus? Then I'm going to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and I'm going to give to God the things that are God. It's that simple. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear, and that's a holy reverence, not a fear that God's going to crush me if I don't obey. No, 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 a healthy fear. And trembling, you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything, in everything. I look at these verses as transitional. Uh, Paul is going to transition into another very important principle for every believer, the giving of our finances to the work of the Lord. And from the beginning of Christianity, money has been abused. So let's just address the elephant right away. Money has been abused and misused by a few within the church. And I'm talking about Bible-believing churches. Because I know religions abuse money like crazy. But amongst Bible-believing, teaching, principled churches, it's been abused and misused by a few within the church, which obviously brings discredit upon the majority of those who do not misuse or abuse the funds of the church. And so we see a tactic of the enemy to neutralize an area of surrender. And I find it interesting if you're new or visiting, um, we're not one of those churches that coordinate everything. Uh, We believe in being led of the Holy Spirit, and so I don't tell Matt what to play or sing or any of that. And uh, as you come, I, I hope that you come with anticipation of worshiping God in song, but also worshiping them with him with your finances and worshiping him with your attention in the word of God. Worship is 24-7. Sometimes we just correlate it with singing. But it's very important that you prepare your heart and the songs that they picked fit right into the study perfectly. That's called the Holy Spirit. And what we have to address on a regular basis in our lives, not just financially, but in our lives, is surrender. Am I willing to surrender today? When you wake up, you got to say, am I willing to surrender today? Eh, I don't think so today. I want to do what I want to do. Okay, God's okay. Do what you want to do. He's a gracious God. Thank God for that. But the enemy has tactics. And giving of finances for the work of the ministry is one of those tactics. You had a bad experience, so I ain't giving money to any church. I'm not giving money to any 501c3. None whatsoever. Okay? Without provision, there would be a little completion of the Great Commission, which is to go out and make disciples of those who come to the saving knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what missionary work, one aspect of missionary work is all about. They're making disciples. I try to make disciples here on a Sunday morning. Pastor Darrell does it on a Wednesday night. Pastor Tony does it at the men's meeting. My wife does it at the ladies' meeting. Home fellowships is taking place. Men's Bible study, women's. But hopefully that's the, the... the underlying goal is to make disciples. Some people say, well, what's your mission staple statement? To make disciples. That's it? You got a bigger one? That's it. Now, if you want to complicate it, complicate it. I don't make it complicated. It's just to make disciples. Well, how do you do that? Read your Bible. That's it? Uh, well, how are you going to make a disciple without reading your Bible? How are you going to be a disciple without reading your Bible? 12 easy steps? No, it's reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's not easy. It's thought-provoking. So the Holy Spirit through Paul is going to share with us that giving financially to the ministry should not be something neglected. 
nor be an offering from a bitter heart. But giving should be seen as another expression of God's grace towards mankind. And as we enter these next few chapters, let's remember that God is not broke. He's not broke. He fed three million, up to three million Jews in the wilderness for 40 years with nothing that we have today. God is not broke. God is not begging for your money. He's not in need of a single penny that you and I might have. He owns it already. But rather, God is interested in teaching us about the various areas, various areas. Again, notice, as we zero in on 8 and 9, this is just finances. Don't check out because it's finances, because it's various areas in our lives that might need to be surrendered so that we can serve him more freely and completely. My prayer is that we will open, be open to what the scriptures teach us about the healthy giving of our finances and how to properly apply that principle over the next few weeks. Why? Well, let's look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You see, there are various areas of a believer's life that need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit in order to continue that process of maturing in the faith. Maturing in the faith. The most important area is the heart. And if you're new to Christianity, you're going to hear that a lot. Well, well, what's in your heart? Where's your heart? What's your heart? This, that, and the other thing. Unfortunately, um, you want to know, really, basically, a person's asking you about your soul. How is God touching your soul, your personality, your makeup? How is God transforming your heart, your soul? Because we only have one physical heart, obviously. So when you read the heart in the Bible, most of the time it's talking about your soul. How are you becoming more like Jesus? your soul. And so, Jim, you want to, I, I went over a slide. You want to go back to that last slide? You know, or surrendering your earthly desires. This is what it's all about, guys, as we look at Psalm 37. Or surrendering your earthly desires. Did you hear anything about surrendering in the songs this morning? Now, I know you, that I'm hitting you after the fact, but as you think back, it's going to come to you. We sang it. We sang it in several songs. To the heavenly desires of our eternal Father. Psalm 37, a psalm of David. So this was written roughly 3,000 years ago. Do not fret because of evildoers. Huh. I wonder if David knew we were going to have an election in 20... Isn't that a great exhortation for us this morning? Do not fret. Don't worry. Don't get so anxious. Don't get all worked up about it. Do what you can do. But don't forget, as we pray, God, your will be done. Well, on second thought, now that the election's over, I don't, I don't know if I want your will to be done. Nor be envious of the workers of the iniquity, of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Guys, that's our exhortation this morning. Just keep trusting in the Lord. In your workplace, don't, don't get into a bunch of arguments. It's, it's, it's worthless. It doesn't go anywhere. Do good. Worship God. Point them to Jesus. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There it is. There's that word. My heart desires something? Yeah, it desires the pump. Your soul. Your soul. What is the desire of your soul? What do you want to see completed? What do you want to see accomplished? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now, as you read that, notice where the focus is. The focus is all on who? You or God? The focus is on God. Now, you happen to be the individual. I'm the individual, but it's all about God. It doesn't say trust in Jim. Focus on Jim. And Jim will bring about the desires, because when Jim brings about his desires, it's, it's not good. Trust in God. Keep looking at God. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Noon now, when you think of righteousness, just being right with God, not self-righteousness. Oh, I went to church on Sunday. I'm better than you. No, you're not. You're just right with God. And the Holy Spirit keeps you in that place. So it's nothing for us to brag about. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Rest. I like that. Rest in the Lord. Would you rather fret in the Lord or rest in the Lord? Personally, I'd rather rest. I catch myself fretting, so don't take me wrong. But I, I change very quickly because it doesn't do any good. I don't like losing any sleep. I like to sleep. I take these two brain cells, I separate them, and I'm gone. My wife gets mad at me every night. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. I'm not going to fret about that. I'm going to let somebody else take care of that, that God has ordained to take care of. And God does ordain people to take care of that. Take care of it. You take care of it. I got more important things to do. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Notice that. Do not fret. It only causes harm. What does fret usually bring about? It usually brings about anger or anxiety or wrath or depression. None of those things are positive. For evildoers, verse 9, shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord... That's you and I today, guys. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back right on time. No government is going to stop him from coming back right on time. So we're in these days. Don't fret. Rather wait and rest. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. As we look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You see, as we read all the scriptures, we find that believers will rule and reign with Christ during a thousand-year time period after the seven-year time period known as the Great Tribulation, and it's described in Revelation. It will be a perfect reign. No, it's going to be so wonderful. No campaigns. <laughs> elect Jesus, elect Jesus. No ridiculous, well, do you know what Jesus said last year? I remember what he said 10 years ago. Just the pure, honest reigning of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's going to be so sweet. But until then, we're called to use our finances wisely, and finances are becoming a hot topic, especially in these days that we're living in, no matter what political party you're affiliated with. So let's look at a few verses that Jesus encouraged us, to, his followers, to do. In Matthew 6, now for the sake of time, if you're new or visiting, we put some up, and then we turn to some. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break in through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Notice that there's nothing about monetary value in there. So we can make this a great ser- sermon on tithing. It'd be out of context. Because Jesus said treasures. Treasures. What are your treasures? Are your family measures, family members treasure? They should be. So put them before the Lord. Pray for them. Pray for them. Lift them up to God. You see, what we invest in, and that's not just financially, although we're going to be talking about finances over the next few weeks in, in eight and nine, what we invest in, and again, that's not just financially, will show us where our heart is at or what my soul is focused on. Is it hobbies? I mean, there's nothing wrong with hobbies. Nothing at all. Is it my retirement package? There's nothing wrong with planning. We are planning. Is it my kids? There's nothing wrong with kids. No, wait a minute. That's not in the notes there. Yeah, no. <laughs> You get the idea. Yeah. We can place our kids above God. Be that helicopter parent. Or the new phrase is you're a lawnmower parent. You go before the child. You just don't oversee them. You go before them and get everything out of the way, cutting everything down, making their past nice and smooth. Shove them in the dirt. Let them get bruised. Jeez, it's good for them. It's good for them. So with finances, the scriptures show and teach us that we should plan for the future, but in planning for the future, this is so important. Here's a principle. In planning for the future, our plans shouldn't take precedence over God's principles. So in planning for the future, say that you're going to get married. Well, we need to live together to make sure that it's going to work. You've now taken your plans and you've taken it over God's principles. No. No, no, no. Well, you know, once we have enough money, then we'll start having kids. Good luck. Just have kids. You know, with wisdom. You know, do it with wisdom. Make plans. But don't put it above God's principles. So again, as we move into these next few chapters and deal with finances, we might need to debug the program, which involves the mind. I, I, if you're new here, uh, I have the mind and, and this imagery of a computer hard drive. We've all been coded. We've all been coded. Various aspects of our lives have been coded. And we run the program. And when something happens, like a study on Sunday morning about finances, we go, just relax. Just relax. I don't even know if you're a member here. We we have very loose membership. We don't hand out tithing envelopes. I have no idea who gives. I don't care who gives. It's between you and God. So just relax. And hear what the word of God says. Because there's a constant battle taking place between the flesh and the spirit. And that's why we need to remember a few verses. Ephesians 6, 12. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So right now, as we're in these days we're in, don't wrestle against the government. Read your Bible. God ordains the government. That doesn't mean they're always nice and wonderful. And I think... Peter said, pray for Caesar Nero? Really? 
pray, he goes to hell. No, that's not what Peter was insinuating. How about 2 Corinthians 10? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. What stronghold do you have in your life? Various strongholds, whatever it might be, alcohol, drugs, pornography, swearing, lying, cheating, stealing, vulgarness, whatever it might be. What stronghold is it? You're not battling against a physical battle. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, you know, I was just born that way and this is the way I am. That's the dumbest argument anybody could ever have. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. So again, in thinking about our text here and what we're going to cover in chapters 8 and 9, Paul is going to address an area that can cause great frustration. But when done properly through biblical information, which is what we're going to do, giving of our finances to the work of the Lord can become very gratifying. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial and of, of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. I'm purposely reading that slow so that you understand Paul is not addressing a wealthy church and their giving of their finances out of their abundance. And you'll see why as we keep reading. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. Notice that. Take it, please. Take it. We want you to have it. They weren't like, oh, here comes Paul. We got to give some money again. And the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You see, Paul is going to share with the Corinthians that there were various churches in Macedonia, and that's an area, who were willing to help with an offering for the saints at Jerusalem. So first of all, why was there an offering even taking place? So as you read your Bible, you want to ask yourself some questions. I mean, shouldn't the mother church the Christian church in Jerusalem, shouldn't they be supporting all these younger churches, sending finances to them? Well, a little bit of history is important at this point. You see, the temple was one of the main sources of income for the Jews in Jerusalem at that time. I mean, think about it. Today, we could look at, like, look at it like a major, major manufacturing corporation. There are potentially hundreds of jobs created through one corporation and its products. Think of today. Now think of those things with the temple. Think of what daily sacrifices. What about all those resources needed for the celebration of the various yearly feasts? At least three mandatory feasts, but they had other feasts. When millions of Jews would come from all over Israel to celebrate those feasts. Think of all that. Hundreds and hundreds of jobs. So the temple was one focal point of income, and when a Jew became a Christian... 
they pretty much lost everything. You're turning against Judaism. You own a bakery in downtown Jerusalem. We're not going to buy from your bakery anymore. And you'll think, oh, that would never happen. You haven't been around much. It happens even today. It happens even today. We have a friend, he's a close friend of ours, who was born and raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. When she received Jesus as her Savior, their, her family had a memorial service for her. They, they literally buried her. They would not talk to her for years. You leave Mormonism, if you're a Mormon here today and you're just wondering what's Christianity about, you leave Mormonism. You know why Mormons don't leave Mormonism? The number one fear of a Mormon not leaving Mormonism? Their family. If I leave my family, I'll lose everything. I'll lose everything. They place family above God, above the truth. And most religions are that way, by the matter of fact. When we left Catholicism, we left the faith. No, I had Jesus in the faith and I had Jesus after I left. Because it's all about Jesus. So this is unfortunately a very important reality. Again, going back to that time frame, they would lose everything. They came to realize that believers needed to rely upon one another, which we clearly see in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Read the early chapters of the book of Acts. They sold their belongings and they gave everything to the church. And then when they had a need, they would go to the church and be blessed with provisions. I mean, that's a great idea. Until you run out of donations, everybody sold everything. And that's exactly what took place. That's one aspect. Another aspect, there was also a prophet named Agabus that prophesied through the Holy Spirit that there was going to be a great famine which actually happened in that area and now compounded the problem of the lack of resources. So Paul was taking up a collection from the Gentile churches to help the saints in Jerusalem during this time of need. Now, Paul doesn't list them by name, but Macedonia would have included the churches in the area of Berea, Philadelphia, Thessalonica, so forth, so on. These churches were established during Paul's second missionary journey. And even though they were going through trials and tribulations, we just read it, even though they were going through trials and tribulations themselves, they still found the ability to give financially for the cause at hand. How, how could they do that? Well, if you look at verse 2, the very last word in verse 2 of chapter 8 is liberality. That word liberality means singleness, simplicity. Singleness, simplicity. You see, they gave themselves to the will of the Lord. Look at verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You give yourself to the Lord first and God will guide you and direct you on everything else that you should do. Through the Bible, through prayer, through counsel. And it sounds overly simplistic, but that is being a disciple. In Acts 16, 30 and 31, we read this. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, join our church, get water baptized, start giving money, go knock on doors, do everything you can and you and your household will be saved. Is that what your Bible says? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And you will be saved. You and your household. Why do so many churches make following Jesus or being involved with Christianity so hard? 
Knowing the will of God isn't as hard as most people make it out to be. You know, here we see that these, these, these young fellowships sought the Lord, they sought the Lord, and then they obeyed his will. They trusted in the guidance of the Holy Spirit and had a singleness of heart about the situation that was happening in Jerusalem. Then they performed God's will with the simplicity of another aspect of the gospel message, love one another. We don't know those Jews, probably never will see them, but we're going to love them. And we're going to take of ours and give to them. And that's basically what God has allowed us to do over the last two decades. We're celebrating 20 years this year. And we went from our first service of giving 10% to missions from, our very, from the very get-go. No building, no nothing. 10% missions. We had a mission account. We still have a mission account. There's an abundance in that mission account. There's a, literally abundance in that mission account. And we're still praying about now giving 35% to missions. Even when we have an abundance in there. What's more important? New chairs? Or people coming to know Jesus as their Savior? Now, if we need new chairs, I would say, let's get new chairs. But we don't. Just using that as an example. We're to take care of our property. You know, we're putting a new roof on. We need a new roof, so we have to take care of things. We, we are responsible. So I'm not saying don't throw everything away, but make sure that you understand the balance of what we're called to do. Verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. You see, Paul sent Titus to collect the gift that was given by these churches, but notice that Paul has been using the word grace, unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. And this is the same word that is used throughout the New Testament and shows us God's kindness towards us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, grace. You see, God's loving kindness has granted to everyone who would believe salvation. So if you don't know Jesus here this morning, you are an ain't. You are an ain't. You're a sinner. There's no one good. No, not one. You need a savior. Savior's name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one. You need a savior. Then you can add the S to your ain't and you will become a saint holy, unblameable, unreprovable in God's sight. But if you don't, you'll be judged according to your works. You see, this word grace is the same word we're reading about here in Corinthians. This grace in verse 6 there towards the end, this grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. I believe that Paul is showing the Corinthians that when you understand God's grace, you share God's grace. And in this case, it's a physical need that's being met by these young churches. There were probably those who didn't believe that the church at Jerusalem deserved a physical blessing. But God was going to use the Macedonian churches to give them one anyways, and that's called grace. And one aspect of our Christian faith is the grace of God being implemented into our lives. Notice the word implemented there. If you know the word and you can define the word, but you don't allow the word to transform your soul, the word means nothing. It means nothing. It's pointless. Spiritually as well as practically. So that we might help others spiritually as well as practically. So this past week, two weeks ago, I got a call from Peter. Some of you might remember Peter. And we brought in gifts for children that were going to go to Africa. And he had a container on the West Coast. 
and he was hoping to fill that container. Well, he gave me an update <laughs> and they filled the container. Praise God, they filled the container and then there has to be an inspection of the container to make sure there's no drugs and other stuff like that, but to also make sure that it's stacked properly. Well, they just filled the container. They didn't put anything on pallets, on dried wood pallets, which if you're something know about wood, you know what I'm talking about. But anyways, so they came, they inspected the container and said, you can't ship this. He's like, what? Well, you can't ship this. You need, and he listed like five items. And one of the items was pallets. They have to be dried, killed wood pallets. You're go- it's going on the ocean. And I go, well, Peter, how much is that going to cost? He goes, it's, it's like $4,200. And I don't have $4,200. We got all this stuff, but I don't have $4,200. I said, Peter, we'll cut you a check. We'll cut you a check. Get the pallets, get your volunteers, pull it all out, put it on the pallets, put it back in, get it to Africa. So you guys bought a bunch of pallets. You want them back? Talk to Peter. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that's the practical side of blessing somebody who couldn't do it. The body and other churches came together to meet the other needs because there was about 3,000 of other needs. Other churches came together. Now that it's actually on a ship going to Africa, it's going to take about six weeks. They're going to get it. Peter's going to be there to receive it. They're going to start passing it out. And that physical blessing is going to do what to those people? It's going to make them very happy. But it's also going to make them go, because Peter's from this area. He's not an American going there. He's, he was born and raised in this state, in Africa. Why are you doing this? The gospel. The gospel. He's going to present the gospel. And people are going to come to know Jesus as their Savior. All of them? I, who knows? Hopefully. But even if one does, that was worth the 4200 bucks. So we have to use spiritual as well as practical means to understand the grace of God. And this is what Paul is teaching here to the Corinthians. But as you abound, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 7, 7, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, I did, did you guys notice anything in that verse? He didn't say anything about finances, did he? I thought God was a giant slot machine. I thought if I gave God a dollar, that I would get 10 back. And if I gave God $10, then I'd get 100 back. Well, I'm going to give God 100 because then I'll get 1,000 back. Why not give 1,000? Give, give 1,000 back. I'm going to get $10,000 back. You won't find that in the scriptures anywhere. Now, we're going to read about it in these chapters, so read ahead, but keep it in context. What did he just list here? But as you abound in everything, and what is the Everything. Money is not even included there. In faith. Well, now, if we have our faith, then money is not going to be an issue. In speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The grace of giving. But the emphasis is not giving. And churches will make the emphasis giving. You see, Paul reminds them of all the other blessings that they're operating in and asks them a simple question. Shouldn't you also abound in this area as well? Which means, as you look up that word abound, to superabound or to be in excess. But they were giving out of poverty. We just read it in earlier verses. So they were not a wealthy church. Let's get more money. They were broke. They were poor. And they still gave. So don't confuse the two. That's health and wealth. That's blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. All, just nonsense. Verse 8, 
Verse 8 is going to show us that Paul is not begging or pleading with the Corinthians, nor is he using his apostolic position to bring them into submission, but once again teaching them a simple heavenly principle. I speak not by commandment. Notice that. I speak not by commandment. This is not Paul saying, you will give and you will give this much. No. But I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Where's your love at? Where's that love relationship? Where's that love relationship? It's all about that love relationship. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, eternally speaking, he spoke everything into being. He has it all. He had it all. He still has it all. That through, though he was rich, yet... For your sakes, he became poor. The Corinthians would have understood this plainly. You and I understand it plainly. He came to the cross. The richest man to have ever lived. Nobody beats Jesus. He's the richest man to have ever lived. Yet he became poor that, through, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And this is not talking about monetary. It's talking about heaven. Guys, we're going to heaven. And you ain't taking a buck with you. We are going to heaven. You see, Paul gives them the ultimate example by the life of Jesus. He gave up heaven with all of its splendor and majesty to take on human flesh and then gave his life as a ransom for the sin of mankind. All of mankind. 10 and 11. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, So notice that. A year ago they had a desire to give. Paul's saying that you completed it. But now you must also complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Out of what you have. You see, it's been a year since the Corinthians mentioned that they would like to help and Paul encourages them to accomplish that which they have been stirred to do. You see, there are many good intentions that have come into our minds or hearts. Maybe even this past week you had a good intention. But it is only those that are carried out that have any effect and impact in the kingdom of God. Good intentions really mean nothing. It's when we complete those good intentions that they have impact. You see, the rewards that Paul has been sharing about over the last few chapters are not to those who have a desire, but to those who accomplish that desire. You know, an example, you know, God just gave me a desire to minister to the elderly. I just don't have any time. Good desire. God has given me a desire to take a meal to someone in the fellowship, but you know what? I'm not a good cook. Good desire. You see, Paul is teaching them about a principle of giving financially here, but I believe that this principle rolls over into all areas of our faith walk. When God gives you a desire, fulfill that desire. See it through. He'll give you the ability to see it through. He will always give me the means and the ability to accomplish that calling. And notice what Paul says at the end of verse 11 here, that which you have. You see, many people have allowed themselves to be limited in their use in the kingdom. And this is so applicable. Not, again, not just about finances, about life. About teaching in the Sunday school, teaching in junior high, teaching in high school, teaching at, at maybe the young adults, um, helping out with marriage ministry, helping out with the Bible studies, doing this, doing that. Well, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not. Okay, maybe you're not, but I think the Holy Spirit could. 
How much do you trust the Holy Spirit? Because of their thinking that they don't have anything to give. Well, let me remind you, every Bible-believing Christian in this room, you have been given, you have been given freely one, at least one spiritual gift. Now, some of you might be going, spiritual gift, what's that? Well, you weren't going to a church that taught you the Bible. Because the Bible clearly teaches that you have a spiritual gift. And if you don't know what it is, go get it to the plugged-in area out there. We have spiritual gift inventories. You can find out. You know, it'll help you to figure out what that might be. It's not going to tell you exactly, but it might help you. How are you using that gift? Well, I, I, I don't have the power to do it. Okay, let me say it one more time. God gave you the spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit will empower you because it was given to you by God. You didn't drum it up. Get the horse in front of the cart. Holy Spirit will drive my gift. Churches got it the other way around. They beg you to serve. They beg you to serve. They beg you to serve. I'm not begging you to serve. I'm trying to teach you a principle. What you do with it is between you and God. Because Jesus said, what? Store up treasures in heaven. You want to go bankrupt to heaven? Go bankrupt. I don't want to go bankrupt. I don't know what we're going to do with all those things, those rewards. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I just don't want to show up bankrupt. If you do, go for it. So how we handle our financial giving, though, will also impact our time resources as well. You see, if you apply this principle as the music team comes up, if you apply this principle as well as the others that we've been learning over the months and years. Guys, 20 years. It's hard to believe. I'm amazed that people keep coming back. 20 years. It's amazing. But it's just the word of God and it's the Holy Spirit. Use your gift. Ask the Holy Spirit to use your gift. If you ask him, he will empower you. You see, we're guaranteed to see the benefits. But we have to ask. Father, we thank you and praise you that you're not bankrupt. That you don't beg us to do things. You allow us the privilege to participate in your kingdom. What a privilege to be able to participate in your kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that one day is going to come back to this earth and we, as Bible-believing Christians, are going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And then, God, you're going to vaporize this and you're going to create a new heaven and a new earth and we get to participate in all this (laughs) it's unbelievable our worst day should be our best day so lord help us to apply these principles to all areas of our lives help us not to get hung up in one area this area that area help us to debug the program through your word, via the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through counseling, through mentoring. Help us, Father, that we might become more like Jesus. That's the goal, just to be more like Jesus and to give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and to give unto God the things that are God that will have that balance in our lives. Father, we thank you for the morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, 
how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.